Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. I know it's a constant refrain every time uh, we kick off in the morning, but I- I'm just thankful for the worship. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? And I was resonating with that. Uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. We saw some men drop their fears this weekend. And so it falls to me uh, this morning to introduce uh, Jimmy. And uh, this is the second time that Jimmy's been with us at the church. Um, And typically what will happen is we'll tell you a little bit about how we first heard about Jimmy and the time that he came the first time and the impact that he had. Uh, I was first counseled by Jimmy through a book that he wrote. Uh, It blessed me, and by God's grace, uh, you picked up the phone when we said, hey, could you come and talk to our people? Uh, He's a successful pastor that uh, started a network, uh, Pastor Serve, that ministers now to pastors so that they'll stay faithful, stay strong, have a place to go when they're struggling, uh, and that has become quite a thing. And so he came the first time, shared with us, and typically what we'll say is he came back the second time and became a friend. I I think that's really true. But what I want to share with you is, in addition to becoming our friend, there's something that happened this weekend, and I was just going to tick off a list of things. I'll just give you three. We had some of our teachers, uh, and um, we have some great Bible teachers in our church, but we had some men who have been in the Word uh, throughout the years, and they came up and they said, I've been reading these passages uh, all my life. And I, I did not see those things that Jimmy displayed. And it's so evident in scripture, but it is transforming me. It's, it, uh, it was rich. So our Bible teachers, our, our men that are discipling men were impacted. But I could also tell you about a supernatural moment where our guys were challenged about uh, whether or not they, they were actually at one moment, get this, uh, and some of you gals might be shocked this happened. Jimmy actually had them take out their wallets, give it to their neighbor, and then give generously. Yes. They handed the wallets back respectfully to their friends, but they were all challenged. What would I do if I were asked to give generously? And in a moment, just by the Spirit of God, the men that were in the room uh, felt led to give just under $6,000 to a mission trip for Matt and Josh to be able to go and speak to folks in the cartel. Yeah. Your men... Wonderful men put their cash that they were intending to spend on uh, bullets and barbecue (laughs) and laid it at the feet of two servants of God. But he shared with us out of Genesis 32, and in that uh, moment, he talks about a man who went into a place and wrestled with God and came out different. And I believe uh, in that moment, Jacob renames that place Peniel. Uh, the place where he wrestled with God. He saw God face to face and came out with a different destiny. And I believe some men this weekend came to this place and they would call it Peniel. They were wrestling with God, but they went out with a different destiny. So with that in our sails, Jimmy, would you please come and share with us this morning? Let's welcome Jimmy. Can I pray? Yeah, thankful for you, brother. Uh, notice how he has to put his arm over the top. Uh, yeah, I'm just so little. Thank you. <laughs> Get low, brother. Get low. Father, we are so thankful, so thankful for what you're doing. We're thankful for the transformation that comes from your word. Um, 
Father, we do pray this morning we would hear once again from you what we should be about, how we should change. Help us to hear your words and your thoughts. Father, let it hit our feet. Let us walk differently as a result. Give Jimmy strength to preach after all this weekend. Um, But the joy that's been exuded by him, I pray, Father, that would continue through these services. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks. What a joy to be back with you. What a joy to be here. Uh, I'm sure that if I got to know you, I would really like the women in this church, but I can assure you, I, I love your men. I mean, what, what a great weekend, what a great time to be honest and vulnerable and uh, very down to earth. And uh, if you think that all we're doing is just having guy talk and watching football or whatever it is, I'm telling you, it was much more and it was deep and it was rich and it, it, it blessed me. I mean, it richly blessed me, just all of these conversations. And so I, I, I felt very, uh, very, very personally impacted. So if you weren't at the retreat, you're going to have to kind of catch up with us a little bit. Because this is essentially the fourth message of the retreat. And so you're going to have to kind of understand a little bit more of what we've been trying to talk through. So we talked through Jacob. And just very quickly... He lived a hard life. Jacob lived a very painful, difficult life. And so he's born into this really dysfunctional family. And his dad doesn't spend much time with him. And uh, he has this brother that he's in competition with. And he steals away the blessing. And his brother wants to essentially kill him. And uh, so he uh, has to go on the run. And he runs away. And on the way... Uh, to this place he sees that, you know, great vision of the stairway to heaven and not just that Led Zeppelin song, but the real stairway to heaven between God and man. And then he goes on and he works for his uncle Laban and he labors for him because he wants to marry Rachel, his daughter, who he is just smitten with. And we have that great verse in scripture that says, and he worked seven years for Rachel, but it seemed like only one day because of his love for her. And all the men just went, oh, a love story. (laughs) This is so beautiful. And then we talked about how he got tricked into marrying also Leah and how he had to work another seven years. And then he slaved for more years after that for Laban. And so finally he's able to finally leave and he goes because he feels like God calls him back to meet up with Esau's brother to make peace with him. And so on the way, that's, that, that's when he wrestles with God and has this incredible personal encounter with God. And there's so much more of the story that we didn't even have a chance to talk about because, uh, because eventually the wives start to have the kids and you, know, and you have this longing for his favorite wife, Rachel, to have these children. And it's, all these kids are coming out from Leah, but not Rachel. But then eventually she gives birth to Joseph and then eventually Benjamin, but in Benjamin, she gives birth to him. And in the process, she, she, she dies in childbirth. And so you have this father that his wife that he loves so much is gone. And he puts so much hope in Joseph. And then he thinks that Joseph has been torn apart by these wild animals and killed. And then he goes into deep depression for about 20 years, for about 20 years. And then at the very end, we learn that he, he finds out, wait a second, Joseph, who I thought all these years was dead, is actually alive. He's in Egypt. So he goes down to Egypt and he's able to see Joseph and to see these grandchildren. And it's such an amazing time together. So we were talking through Jacob, a man whose name was changed to Israel, 
because God gave him a new name and a new limp and a new destiny. But it really is about this man, Jacob, and how his life changed and how his perspective changed and how the way he looked at life radically changed. And so this morning, we're going to look at this amazing story about how his perspective in life just so radically changed the way that he thought really about everything. So I want to start this message in a way, I want to guess that you've never heard a message that started this way ever. And here's how, here's how I will start it. Don't take out your Bibles. Because we're going to have a little Bible quiz here. Uh, all right? It's, it's a little quiz. And if you take out your Bibles, you're going to be able to say, I, I know what the answer is. I don't want you to cheat in a sense. But we're going to look at the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11 has got these great stories of these saints who did these things by faith. And so it says, by faith, this person does this and this person does this. So today has got to be audience participation. Are you with me on that? That was very weak. Today has got to be audience participation. Are you with me? Okay, that's great. Okay. So I want to ask you some questions. And I realize that you might think, gosh, I don't want to shout out the wrong answer. It's possible that we will shame you if you shout out the wrong answer. But anyway, uh, but I just want you to say, hey, I, I, I think that this is it, all right? So there's this, these list of names. Don't cheat. Don't look in your Bible. It says this. By faith, it was Abel who did what? Offered a better sacrifice to God, right? Better than Cain. By the prize, I would give you the prize. I've got nothing right now. Okay. (laughs) Here's kind of an easy one. By faith, Noah built an ark. That's exactly right. That's what it says in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham did what? I'm hearing, I'm hearing a, you, you a lot of answers. Actually, that's kind of a trick question because it gives three things for Abraham. It says he's called to this brand new country. He steps out in faith and goes. God enabled him to become a dad by faith and he offered up Isaac, his son, as a sacrifice by faith. So he had three things. By faith, the parents of Moses did what? They hid Moses. They put him in a basket in the water. That's absolutely right. It was by faith. By faith, Moses did what? Anybody? Okay. Okay. You know what? Okay. Four, four things for Moses. I mean, this is a guy refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh, chose to be mistreated with the people of God. He left Egypt with the Israelites and he kept the Passover. By faith, the prostitute Rahab did what? She hid the spies, exactly right. Here we go. By faith, Jacob, what? Come on, don't be shy, come on. Men, where are you? Come on, men. By faith, Jacob did what? Wrestled with God, most common answer. Incorrect, that'll cost you a $50 gift card. To me after church. Okay. Anybody else? I mean, I hear all the time, saw stairway to heaven. Uh, uh, here's what it says. Hebrews 11 and verse 21. By faith, Jacob, this is, this is the high point of faith of his life. When he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and he worshiped. 
as he leaned on the top of his staff. That's it? <laughs> That's his ultimate? I mean, you know, Moses we get, Abraham we get, Moses' his parents, I mean, like we get all those. This is the ultimate act of faith of Jacob. He worshiped as he leaned on the top of his, he worshiped as he blessed the sons of Joseph as he leaned on the top of his staff. Why in the world is that the ultimate act of faith? Because it is, and we're gonna see it in the text this morning. It's the preeminent expression of faith because there's overpowering grace, overflowing grace, which gives him a new radical perspective in life. And it's all about grace. I mean, grace is the music of life. And Jacob, he's just about to die. He's blind, he's old, and he's hearing the music. He's hearing the music of grace. So we're gonna look at three things, but we're gonna start off, we're gonna say, he has a new perspective on the trials of life. I mean, he gets this brand new perspective on the trials of life, and he understands that truly the Lord has been his shepherd. So uh, we're gonna go to Genesis 48 and start off in verse 12. And so Joseph has brought his two boys to be blessed. And he wants his boys to be blessed because he knows that his dad is just about to die. So this is a big deal to have your sons blessed. And as we talked about on the men's weekend, I mean, this is a big, big moment to just bless these boys. Then Joseph removed the boys from the knees of Israel. He bowed down with a face to the ground. And then he took both his boys. He took Ephraim who was younger on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh who was older on his left side towards Israel's right hand and he brought them close to him because you're gonna bless with the right hand the one who's always older and the left hand the one who's always younger. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head and he reached out his, he crosses his arms, he puts his left hand on the head of Manasseh even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then he blessed Joseph and he said, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. And may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and may they increase greatly upon the earth powerful. May the God who has been my shepherd every day of my life. That's one of the most enduring pictures of the Lord is the Lord is my shepherd. We love Psalm 23. It's used by Christians. It's used by Jews. It's used around the world. When you think about God being our shepherd, most people would say, well, the first person to ever say that God was their shepherd was David. It's not David. The first person in any literature anywhere that said that God is my shepherd was Jacob, and it's right here in this passage. First place anywhere that anybody has ever called God their shepherd. It's incredibly significant. Because Jacob grew up as a shepherd, and there's so many shepherds all throughout Scripture. Moses was a shepherd, and then you have also people like David, and we could go on and on. How many people were shepherds? But when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is saying so much. It's so interesting. He does not say, uh, the, Lord is my, the Lord is my master, and I'm his dog. The Lord is my rancher, and I'm his horse. 
Uh, you know, the Lord is my farmer and I'm his pig. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, which makes me one of his sheep. Because he understands as a shepherd, he understands the primary tasks of a shepherd. He understands that the job is to go before, to be a guide. Because sheep constantly stray and they need to be watched over and they need to be saved from their own wonderings. The shepherd leads to pasture and to food. And our food is God's word, prayer, and the fellowship of other believers. A shepherd protects the sheep with his rod and his staff. We read that beautiful passage. Uh, we love so much the Lord. The Lord with his rod and his staff, you have comforted me. You have protected me. You have guided me. And you've got to protect the sheep. One wild stray dog has been known to kill 262 sheep in one night. Staggering. I mean, you've got to watch over the sheep because they can go down. Even in the darkness, the comfort of the shepherd's voice brings comfort to the sheep. The shepherd is always there. He's always there. And as we talked about with the men, God is always with us. That's one of the great truths of Scripture. 24-7, God is with us. God is always at work. God doesn't have a day off. He doesn't have an hour where he says, you know, let me just take this hour off and just kind of leave my post and you guys are on your own for an hour. God has never left his post. God is always at work. One of the great truths of scripture. God restores cash sheep. Cash sheep, the wool can become so heavy that if a sheep you know, flips over, it can die within just a few hours and it's got to be flipped back over. The shepherds have to constantly watch over the sheep. And as we know from scripture, the shepherd seeks after lost sheep, one of the main jobs, especially when sheep begin to wander. Some of you, it's possible you begin to wander from the Lord and the Holy Spirit is drawing you back. And that's part of this weekend. We know that this weekend, that there were some men who've just felt really drawn back into the fold by the Holy Spirit. How powerful. There's characteristics of sheep. I mean, you don't go to a big circus and see sheep tricks. Trust me, that will never happen. There's not gonna be a movie made about, oh, the sheep got lost, he was a thousand miles from home, and he found, trust me, that's not gonna ever be made. Great movies about dogs, maybe a few cats, you're never gonna see anything about sheep, because they could be across the street and they would be absolutely lost. Sheep are helpless, sheep are just downright stupid, there's no other word. They can't take care of themselves. They don't do anything for themselves. They require more care than any class of livestock. It's constant attention, meticulous care. They cannot find food on their own. They're incredibly uncreative. Um, they're, they're timid. They get so easily panicked. They can, you know, they can start a stampede and go off a cliff and that can be it for everybody. They can be cruel and competitive. I mean, like the ones that might be a bit larger will always have the best grazing spots. They can graze the, the land to death and to the point where they actually eat dirt and then the roots and they can die from starvation because they don't understand. The grass is gone, you're eating dirt. They just, they can't understand that. That's why they have to constantly be moved. They're prone to parasites. That's why you have to constantly anoint them with oil because they are so prone to become sick. Most of you are thinking, well, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, but I'm not going to be a shepherd. I just, that's it right there. And yet all throughout scripture, over and over again, Psalm 23, Psalm, Psalm, Psalm 95, 
He is our God. We are his people of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. Psalm 100 verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And then Jesus talks about this all throughout scripture, especially, I mean, like especially in Matthew 9. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion upon them, Matthew tells us, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. There's a phrase in the blessing that I've probably gone to more with pastors than any verse in the Bible. I love this passage so much because this passage has brought more comfort to pastors and people I have counseled than any passage in scripture. Because many of you have lived a hard life. There's no question. It's been a hard life. There's been some difficulties. I think that Jacob lived a very hard life. Maybe apart from Job and maybe a few others, maybe he lived the hardest life. Maybe his life was harder than Job because it was stretched out to over so many years. Remember, once again, terrible family situation, heartbreaking situation. Has to run for his life from, from, from I mean, from, from like this brother that wants to kill him. He has an uncle that cheats him and swindles him. He finally, after all this craziness, marries the love of his life, but she dies shortly afterwards in childbirth. He thinks his favorite son has been torn apart by these crazy animals, and he goes into deep depression for 20 years. He has a tragic life. He lives a heartbreaking life. And at the very end of his life, he looks back over his entire life, and he says, God, who has been my shepherd every day of my life to this day. Wow. Every day. At the very end of his life, he has the audacity to take this grid of being shepherd and lay it over his entire life. And say, every day that I didn't think that God was there, every day that I was angry with God, every day that I was struggling with deep depression, every day that I had grief in my life, every day that I was weeping over my dead wife, every day that I was being swindled, God was there. He was there every moment of every day of my entire life. What a perspective. What a perspective, because right now some of you are in the midst of heartache. You're in the midst of divorce. You're in the midst of a lost job. You're in the midst of cancer. You're in the midst of kids that aren't walking with the Lord. You're in the midst of something very difficult right now. And you might be saying, where is God in this time? And I'll tell you where he is. He is right next to you being the shepherd that he's always been to you every day of your life. Maybe you can't see it. He's there. Maybe it won't be until the end of your life that you can look back and say, oh. God's been there every moment of every day. What a powerful statement. The first time anybody uses that phrase, God is my shepherd, he says, you have been my shepherd every single day. It changes the way that he thinks about life. It changes the way that he thinks about all of reality. It's incredibly powerful. This story has helped me so much when my brother-in-law dies at a young age. This past year, I lost two nephews, one to cancer and one to suicide. 
It was a painful year in many ways. And just to constantly say, God, you're my shepherd. You've been here every day. You've been walking with me through every moment. Through everything you go through, the Lord is there and he's bringing you home. There's a second big change. I think that it changed the way that Jacob thinks about social structures, the way that he thinks about systems. So Joseph sees his dad switch hands and Joseph is irritated. He's a little bit angry in verse 17. So Joseph saw his father, he placed his right hand on the head of Ephraim and he was displeased. So he took hold of his dad's hand and his hands, you know, to move them. Kind of like, ah, oh, you crazy old man. You know, this is the oldest. This is the youngest. Oh my gosh, you're blind and you, have you lost your mind? And, and no, 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 my father, this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But the father refused and said this, I know my son, I know. This one too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will become greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. Wow. The chief blessing always given with the right hand because that's the way that the culture worked back then. Because the way that the culture worked was there were certain types of people that absolutely will get the blessing. And it was always going to be the oldest. It's interesting that it says actually in verse 10, and Jacob's eyes were weak. He's almost blind. Listen, he can see more clearly right now than at any time in his life. He He sees it very clearly. Because back then you've got a culture that says, here's how things get done. It's always the oldest It's never the youngest. It's always boys, it's not girls. It's always the strong, it's never the weak. It's the tallest, not the shortest. It's the smartest person. That's the way the culture worked. And so you're gonna give the blessing to those people. So the big, strong, tall, firstborn, good-looking son, he's gonna get the blessing. Everybody else gets just leftovers and scraps. But the gospel has radically changed the way that he thinks. Now, aren't you glad that times have changed? (laughs) Times haven't changed at all. It's gotten worse, right? If you want to get ahead of this culture, you need to be good looking. You need to be smart. There's all sorts of ridiculous stats that says it helps if you're tall. We could go on and on about how we have created these norms in our culture. You need to be richer. You need to be more slender, more, more educated, more on and on and on. Jacob understands that in his culture and he refuses to go that way. He senses that the grace of God is moving towards the younger, not the older. And he has this new sense of, I think God wants to do things in a very different way. We live in a culture that says, this is the person that's gonna be in charge. This is the person that's going to be blessed. And I think God is doing things in a very different way. And so I'm gonna cross my hands and I wanna bless this one and say that this one is actually going to serve that one. It's an incredible thing. All throughout scripture, (laughs) this is a great Bible study for you all throughout scripture, but especially in Genesis, we see it over and over again, but it's all throughout scripture. There's a person that should be chosen to do it, you know, for, for a task, for a very important task. And God says, 
I want to choose the different person. I want to choose somebody else. So the world says, well, you should choose Cain. He's the firstborn. God says, I want to choose Abel to do these amazing things. God chooses Isaac and not the older Ishmael. God chooses Jacob and not the older Esau. God chooses Ephraim and not the older Manasseh. He chooses Joseph and Judah, not the oldest Reuben. God says, hey, here's attractive Hagar and here's barren old Sarah. And God says, you know what? I want to choose Sarah. Here is ugly duckling Leah and beauty queen swan Rachel. And God says, you know what? I want to choose Leah. Here's Moses that can hardly say a word. And Aaron, his older brother, who's very well spoken. And God said, you know what? I think I'll take Moses. And God says, I need to save the Israelites. So just to make sure you know it's me, let me choose the weakest tribe, the weakest clan, the weakest family, and then the runt of the family. His name is Gideon. He's essentially the last person you would ever choose to lead anything in the entire nation. And I want to use him, him to save the entire nation. David's got all these strong older brothers. David is the runt. He's the short one of the family. And God says, you know what? All these older brothers, I want to choose David. I want to choose Deborah. We could go on and on. Every judge, every, I mean, like if you read through judges, every judge is from the wrong side of the tracks. And God says over and over again, I want to find great joy in using these people. Because I want to make sure that you understand that I view culture in a very different way than culture views culture. And I want to use the most unlikely people, the last people that you might think of. I want to use them for my glory. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Wow. God says, I can use anybody. You might think, gosh, I can never be used by God because I'm, I'm, I'm not a male, I'm not tall, I'm not smart, I'm not good looking, I'm not educated. And God says, you're perfect. Because I wanna make sure that you understand that whatever takes place, is going to be through me. It's not because of you. Jacob gets that. At the end of his life, he gets it. He gets that God's economy works so opposite than the economy of the world. And he says, I want to do things in very different ways. I love what Oswald Ch uh, Chambers said about this years and years ago. He said this, all throughout history, God has chosen and used nobodies because of their unusual dependence upon him made possible by the, by the just amazing display of his power in their lives. He chose and used somebodies only when they renounced dependence upon their own natural abilities and resources. You've got to just say it's, it's, it's all Jesus. I believe that. <clears throat> I trust that. And God has to constantly remind me of this. And I have a lot of stories in which God has reminded me. But I've got a favorite. Now, I'm just gonna confess to you at the very start. I've told this story a hundred times. I've cried a hundred times. 
I can't. It just, every time it overwhelms me. So can you give me a little grace if there's a tear? Can you? All right. All right. Thank you very much. I've had the chance to do lots of work over the years in Trinidad. I love Trinidad. It's a home away from home for, for, for me along with Haiti. And so I go down there and I spend time with pastors and train pastors and teach pastors. And I have loved it. And every so often I'm like, gosh, it would be really fun just to t- take a kid with me. So I've had my son Mark has been there with me probably a dozen times. Actually, he went there for about three or four months and just lived there for a while. And then I've taken Megan with me probably, probably 10 times. I mean, it's just one of those things I love to take my kids. And so there's this one trip and I want to teach pastors and train them. And I take Megan with me. She's 12 years old. And, and so I'm going to go down and I want to spend time and I want to train pastors because they want to do a church plant in a Hindu neighborhood, which is very, very risky in Trinidad. So they're going to go into a strong area where there's a lot of Hindus and they're going to plant a Christian church. And there were lots of Hindus that weren't happy about this. But this group felt very strongly, you know what? God wants us to plant a church right here. So I go down and I'm like, okay, Megan, I want to spend time all day long and I want to train pastors here. And, you know, that they had this house, you know, that they had got and rented. And it was just a chance just for all these guys to come and gather. And the first day I had taught for about an hour and we had a little break and, you know, Megan walked up to me and said, is there any place in the world I could be besides here? You know, it's like, Dad, I've heard these stories from you a thousand times. Uh, do I have to sit through all of this teaching for like three or four days? Dad, I'm 12 years old. Please give me a break. And she said, I noticed that there was a little girl across the street. Maybe I could go over and just ask if she wants to play. I said, Okay, now, thank God her mom wasn't there because she would have said, you're just going to send her across the street to these strangers? Uh, that's exactly what I did. I'm like, okay, Megan, I trust you. That's fine. So May- Megan walks across the street and she meets this little girl. And they're like exactly the same age and they have this great day together and they play records together and talk about music and just talk about life. And I mean, she's so thrilled at the end of the day. She said, I had a great day with that little girl. Can I go back tomorrow? So the next day I come back and teach. She plays with that little girl the whole day. The next day I come back and teach. She plays with that little girl the whole day. Three weeks after that, they have the big, the big, big opening of this church. And they have this great night plan. It's going to be this big, big nighttime service. They're going to show the Jesus film. They're going to talk to all these people about Jesus. And they're just praying that God would just launch a revival in this community. And so it just so happens that I come back in about a week after that. And I am so excited to hear, how did the church plant go? So I meet my, you know, I meet, meet like all these guys at the airport and they're just saying, you will not believe what God is doing in this Hindu neighborhood. You will not believe what's happening. It is absolutely incredible. And I will just confess to you, in my pride and in my arrogance, I'm thinking, Well, of course it went well. I was just here just a few weeks ago. I taught you guys everything I know. I hope it went well. And they said, you will not believe the story. I said, okay, what's the story? And they said, we went to have our big night, this opening service, this big revival. And the Hindus 
were so angry at us that they had put padlocks on the building and we weren't able to get in. We were gonna have some worship that night and show the film, so we had no power. So we thought, well, there's no way that we can do, do anything. And so we're standing around and we just get to this point of saying, we, we can't do this until this man who owns a Hindu bar invites them in and says, you can have your service in my bar. It's, it's, it's a large bar. So he closes down ha- half of his bar and he allows them to have a Christian worship service in half of a Hindu bar. And that night, several Hindu people give their life to Jesus. Several of the local key Hindu leaders surrender their life to Christ. And as they surrender their life to Christ, it began this ripple effect that led to this revival just, just in a few days in this community with so many Hindus giving their life to Jesus. And my friends said, and it was incredible because after the night is done and everybody leaves, we're at the bar and we say to the bar owner, why, why would you allow us to come in and have this worship service? You're a Hindu. And he said, I watched you week after week after week meet in that little house across the street. Watched you doing all of your work and I just thought, those people will never have anything to do with us. But three weeks ago, a little girl walked across the street and spent three days playing with my daughter and God softened my heart and that changed me. And when I saw that little girl and my daughter playing together, I knew that God wanted me to do something for you. Who's the pastor? Me. Who's been to Trinidad 50 times? Me. Who trains pastors? Me. And God takes my 12-year-old daughter and says, let me cross my hands and use this person that you're not gonna ever dream. Could start a Hindu revival. And God just reminds me, God, you don't do things the way that I think you're gonna do them. You don't do things the way that I have planned them out. You used Megan to launch a revival in a Hindu neighborhood in Trinidad. That wasn't on my radar, but it was on yours because you think about culture in a very different way. You think about social systems in a very different way. If you're a young person and you think, well, maybe once I grow up, I can really be used by God. Friends, God can use you right now. God can use anybody here right now in amazing ways. We have to remember that. We have to keep that in mind. God wants to use you. Joseph is thinking like the world. Judah is thinking like Jesus. And he says, you know what? This is gonna be very different. And that's why I wanna cross my hands because I'm not gonna do things in the way the culture says I need to do them because God is countercultural, and he can absolutely use anybody. Okay, my tears are done. Thank you for being gracious.
And then finally, I think that this passage gives us a new perspective on the church and on the gospel. Because what we see in this passage, it's, it's all about grace. It's all about God's incredible, amazing grace. And it's interesting because I think that in the rooms of psychologists all over the world, people come to talk through their problems and their issues. And their main problem is this, they're thinking, I am guilty, therefore I am condemned. And most, most you know, faiths around the world tackle this by saying, you are not guilty, therefore you are not condemned. Christianity, it's exactly the opposite. We say, no, you are guilty. Absolutely, you're guilty. But you are not condemned because what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross. Because of what Jesus has accomplished for you. Because your sin did not just melt into thin air. Your sin was borne by the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And that's how we absolutely know that you are free. As you heard actually in the worship time, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are absolutely declared guilty. And yet we are free. We are forgiven. We are not condemned. And yet I think we still struggle. And yet I think we still have this struggle that we have in life because we wanna to come to God with a childlike faith and we wanna to come to God and just lay it down all before him, but we still struggle with that and going, yes, I believe that, but even though I believe that, I still feel some guilt and some shame and I still feel like God is angry with me and I still feel like I can't do enough to measure up to God and his standards and I'm trying to do these things that I just feel like I'm just always falling short. I don't know if God loves me. I feel like God is usually angry with me. He's disappointed with me, he's frustrated with me. And I don't know how to get right with God. I'm, I'm very blessed to have five amazing kids. And when Allie was uh, five years old, she made me a card. And I brought the card and I want you to see the card up on the screen. Here's the card, right there. Daddy and Allie, that's not bad for a kid who's five, true? I mean, it's very, she's, she's very, very smart. My kids don't like it when I say this, but it's true to have really smart kids, we had to adopt because it was not in the DNA. But anyway, <laughs> so I love that picture. I mean, I kind of have you know, zombie eyes, but hey, you have to overlook that. She's five. And then on the inside, she writes this amazing note that says this, to dad, from Allie, I love you so much and I will never stop loving you and I love you with my whole heart. Now, as I said today, th this is audience participation. I wanna give you story A and story B and we're gonna vote. I wanna share with you my reaction to this card. And then we're gonna vote on which one is true. Is story A true or story B true? Are you with me? Okay, I love it. You don't have to give me a gift card now because I like that so much. Okay, story, story A. Hey, sweetheart, you know what? If we would put back up the card. You know what, you know what sweetheart? Great, great picture, but let me just go to the inside of the card. Uh, you know, you scratch some stuff out of the top. I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know if I changed my name to Dan uh, or what uh, because that's not the best D I've ever seen. 
from Alley. Okay, that's, that's not bad. Though you start this downhill thing and it just gets worse from there. Sweetheart, uh, if I went through this card, I could probably count probably 20 or 25 mistakes. Baby, baby, I, I love you so much. First of all, where's the E on love? I love you so, and then you obviously didn't plan ahead and you ran out of room. Uh, I will never stop loving you, sweetheart. Have you heard about spaces in between words? That would be, uh, that would be extremely helpful. And then here's where it just goes way south, Allie. Uh, sweetheart, uh, loving you and I will love you with my whole heart. You misspell loving, love, I don't know if you said lover, and then you decided to make it an E, and sweetheart, whole heart, H-O-L-E-H-E-R-T, come on! I want you to take the card, go fix all of these mistakes, and then come back to me. That's story A. Story B. I just melted. It's like, are you kidding me? I will save this the rest of my life. Put this in my coffin with me one day. I mean, this is... This is one of those treasures that I will hold on to the rest of my life. Okay, let's vote, let's vote. How many think it was story A? Always a smart aleck in the crowd, always one smart aleck, God bless you. How many think it was story B? Of course it was story B. Why do so many people And maybe it's you. When you think about your relationship with God, why do you think it's story A? Why do you think that God is so angry with you? Why do you think God is so mad at you? Why do you think all the things I do for God, they're not acceptable? Feel like God's constantly correcting me, saying, go back, get this right. Bring it back and it might be acceptable. Why, why do we think that God thinks like story A and not story B? I think that's one of the great lies of Satan. He wants to convince us that God sees us and it's story A. Friends, it's story B. Do you believe that you can melt God's heart? Do you believe that God is that tender towards you? Of course because you're gonna be that way towards your own children. And trust me, God is a better parent to us than we are to our own children. We talked about that on the men's retreat. How so many things that we do for our own children that we don't even think that God would do for us. Friends, that's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. He's not mad at you. He's given you everything. And he wants you to receive the incredible gifts that he has offered to you this day. So the story of Jacob is an absolutely amazing story. Heartache, love, grief, death, crossed hands. It's an incredible story. And it's a story that can bring transformation, not because of Jacob, but because what it ultimately points to, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in Jacob's life ultimately points to Jesus. And that Jesus is the only one that can fill that void. Because as we talked about with the men a great deal, Jesus took the curse that we deserved upon himself that we might receive the blessing of the firstborn son. 
That's for men and for women, that we might receive that powerful blessing. So what God has for you today is blessing and love and life and hope. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this great story of Jacob. Um, wow. He is so much like us. He's a mess. He tries to fill voids in his life in a thousand different ways and only leads to emptiness. And there's finally that point when he's wrestling with you for where he starts to cling to you. Father, I pray that every person here that we would cling to you today. Father, help us to see life a little bit differently. Help us to understand that you're gonna use people in a very different way. You're gonna change the way that we think about reality and social structures and systems. You're gonna change the way that we think about those things. Father, above all things, I pray that we would be confident that every single moment of our life, you have been there as our shepherd. Through everything, every deep valley, every mountain peak, you have been there and we thank you for that. As your sheep, may we know the need we have for, our, for just, just a gentle shepherd, the great shepherd to lead us and to care for us. And Father, for those here who have never surrendered to you, may today be the day. I pray that all those barriers that have held them back, that today would be the day that they would understand you love them. That they would stop thinking about story A when it comes to the way you think about us and they would understand it's story B. We trust you for this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.